Hey, good morning, Gretna. It's Pastor Rob. So we are beginning our series called Lent, right, for this season of Lent. And if you're like me, if you grew up um, around Christianity but not heavily involved in it, you had a lot of friends that celebrated this season, this season we call Lent. And some of them would, on the first Wednesday of Lent, would have ashes put on their forehead, which as a child, because that wasn't in my circle, I always just really confused me. Or, or and, and as I grew up even, you know, what I could tell you about Lent was people don't eat meat for 40 days. That's what I could tell you. And that as I got into restaurant management, I discovered that fish specials on Fridays were important during Lent. <laughs> and so you always had something extra to sell. And and as I got into to know the Lord and, and began to travel in Christian circles, um, I would always have people ask me, what am I giving up for Lent? But if I'm being really frank, confessional here, Lent that didn't mean that much to me. I, I really didn't understand the symbolism to it, what it was about, and why um, we had such a season. It's, it's a period of 40 days leading up to Easter. And depending on what tribe of Christians you're with, that, may end, that 40 days may end three days before Easter, or it may end on Easter. It may include Sundays. It may not include Sundays. But what I want us to focus in on is the fact that it is intended for us to spend that period of time. And by the way, that number 40, 40 days isn't arbitrary. It's not random. It it shows up throughout the scriptures. We know that Moses was on Mount Sinai for a period of 40 days as the Lord connected with him, communicated with him, and gave him the Ten Commandments. We know that Elijah circled around Mount Horeb for 40 days, and we know that uh, the rains continued for a period of 40 days as Noah stayed in the ark with his family and each two or three of each animal. But Jesus himself also experienced this 40-day thing. And that's the, that's the 40 days that I think we can really connect this Lenten season to, what it really is about. It's, it's a, an account that is told in three of the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Mark's account is very simple. Mark's account says this. It says in, in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, it says, In those days... Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. And then it says, as soon as he came up out of the water, as soon as he was baptized, he saw the heavens being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from him, came from heaven, saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Isn't that incredible to think that even Jesus needed to be told, needed to be affirmed by his father, that he was pleased with him and what he was doing there. And then, and this is where the 40 days kicks in, and then it says, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. Matthew's and Luke's account give us some different ideas on what he was tempted for. He was offered power over everything he could see within his line of sight. He was, he was uh, offered an opportunity to test God or even to tempt God. 
And, and that's, that's just insane that he would be offered those things, but he was. he was. He was offered as he was in the desert fasting, not eating, that, that he was offered an opportunity to have his hunger quenched and his, his thirst dealt with, but, but Jesus refused not to, refused to. And so he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And back to Mark's account, it says he was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. What, what Jesus experienced in those 40 days, I think is something is pretty consistent with what it means to be a follower of Christ and the challenges that, that we face, not just for 40 days, but, but day in and day out. You know, Satan pushes back at us, especially when we lean into the call God has on our lives. Satan will push back at us. He might offer what he offered Jesus, an opportunity for control over our own personal lives or, or power in this life. But really what we should be looking for is what we really need is power over death. And only God has that capacity. Only God can give that. And maybe t Satan would, would tempt us with having our, our hunger quenched, right? If, if you feel like you're missing out on something or you need something badly or want something badly, you know, Satan is really quick to say, look, I will quench that thirst for you. I will give you everything you want. But it costs us, that immediate satisfaction costs us something eternal. The, the second thing, the second reality, I think that Christ's 40 days represents for us, right? The first being that Satan will come after us if we lean into God's call, is that though we often feel like we are sheep among wolves. Remember, Jesus was out with the wild animals in Mark's account. And it says, but even if we feel like we are sheep amongst wolves, the Lord's armies are always present to help. They are always lifting us up. They are always strengthening us. Unlike Jesus, though, we are far from impervious to these attacks, right? Which brings us back to the purpose of Lent. Lent is designed for us to, or intended for us to spend 40 days, just as Jesus spent 40 days, on a spirit-driven, I don't want to say retreat because you can't really leave the world behind, right? We don't have that luxury, most of us, but a spirit-driven focus on praying as Jesus prayed and fasting as he was fasting and focusing as Jesus was focusing during this time. The three terms we're going to use pretty much through this entire series are remembrance, repentance, and renewal. The, the notion that over the course of this 40 days, we are intended to prepare to remember the work of Christ and, and our need for Christ to repent or to turn away from that, because that's really all that word means, but to turn away from uh, the things that draw us away from God and toward his path instead and to be renewed in him. And we're doing that as we approach, as we prepare for what Jesus was preparing for in those 40 days, the coming work of the cross and the resurrection that saves us all. God's intent for us has been clear from the very beginning. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, we see that he has given us two very clear commands, to be fruitful and multiply, and to have dominion or to rule over creation. That's a, that is an honor and a frightening thing that God would give us 
the capacity to rule over something so precious to him, something that he created, that he invested himself in. Um, he has essentially given us the keys to his creation. From the very beginning, that was his original intent. You know, I remember the first time my parents gave me the keys to their car and said, you can go out and, and drive somewhere with, without us, right? Up to then, they'd been riding with me as I was learning to drive and reminding me when I messed up and helping me get better. And, you know, <laughs> my mom, I tell people this all the time, my mom was always concerned that I would hurt somebody while learning to drive. So I, <laughs> I learned to do a lot of my driving in a graveyard because as my mom says, said wisely, uh, you can't hurt anybody here, right? So, but for the, the first time I had an opportunity to go out and drive by myself, um, to get to go where I wanted to go and do what I wanted to do within reason, right? Was, was such a freeing experience for me and such a wonderful thing for me that my parents would actually trust me enough to hand me the keys to their car, just as as God has kind of handed us the keys to his creation. But their, because their car was their possession, they bought it, they paid for it, they invested in it, they fixed it, they, were, they paid the insurance on it. It was their car. But driving it, using it had ground rules, right? There were certain things you weren't allowed to do in the car, certain places I wasn't allowed to go in the car. Certainly had to have the car back at a certain time and, you know, they trusted me to do the right things with what they had given me. And over time, you know, and I think humans are really, really good at this. Um, over time, I began to take for granted the fact that my dad had given me the keys to the car. My parents had given me the keys to the car and let me use it. You lose appreciation for the gift that it is, or I did at least. Um, the truth is I also got careless with it and a little more risky with it. And, and it may be at times, you know, I'd be venture to say that I even thought I knew what I was doing more than they did with the car, I guess. And, and <laughs> you know, so what if they told me not to speed? So what if they told me not to go? I'd be fine. And it's a funny thing. The more you do some of those things and get away with it, the more you begin to think that really maybe... Your parents were, were wrong to begin with, and the car is now essentially yours to use rather than a possession they're loaning you. Or in the case of the earth, a creation God is loaning us. But wouldn't you know it, <laughs> uh, I wrecked my parents' car. Um, not once, not twice, <laughs> but two or three or four I lost count. I have no idea, but I did a whole lot of stupid things in, in their cars as a teenager. And the truth is, is because I lost appreciation for what I had been given for what I had. And, and Adam and Eve, early on in, in Genesis, did the same. We already talked about Genesis 1.8. He gave us the capacity to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion over all creation. But you would think that while they had the keys to the car, right, they would appreciate what it meant 
to, to be able to walk through this thing that God had poured all of who he was into creating, that he, as we'd been discussing in our last series, had breathed the breath of life, the very image of himself into Adam and Eve. You think they, they would have gotten that. Human beings would have figured that out and valued what they've been given an opportunity to be a part of and, and to use. And yet we're really good, as I said before, at forgetting just how blessed we are. And and that begins right there at the very beginning. If we were to look at, still in Genesis, in Genesis chapter three, verses one through seven, we have this period we call the fall, or we've come to call the fall. And it's this, this time when a serpent shows up. The scripture says in chapter three, verse one, he's one of the most cunning of all the animals that the Lord God had made. And he comes to the woman and says, now God really didn't say you couldn't eat from that tree, did he? And she says, yeah, he did. He said, in fact, if we touch it or eat from it, we're gonna die. And the, <laughs> the serpent, Satan, convinces them that no, 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 this creation, God has given you this creation, the keys to this, He's, he's just trying to, to hide something from you. If, you. if you just do this thing, your eyes will be opened, he says. You will, you will understand everything and you'll be more like him. And sure enough, when they did, their eyes were opened, right? In, verse, in chapter three, verse seven, it says the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked, which apparently they didn't know before. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It's that moment that that I had when I wrecked my parents' cars. And I wish I could say I learned from them the first take. Kids, let that be a message to you. Learn the first time. I'm I'm a little slow sometimes. But that that moment you have when you've done something you shouldn't have done, when you've done messed up, right? Those moments when I wrecked the car, and and I, I can remember one time in particular when I I ran into a, a mailbox. Long story for a different day. Um, many lessons to be learned, but I remember being at a friend's house overnight, and running into the mailbox, and and long story short, I spent hours that evening. It was like a Friday night at like eleven o'clock, convincing myself that. Um, I could somehow get it to a body shop the next morning and get it fixed before they even noticed what was going on. Mental note, body shops don't work that fast and they're rarely open on Saturday mornings. Learn as you go, right? And, and Adam and Eve, I think, are experiencing that same thing here when they realize that they're naked. They realize they've done messed up. Uh, and, and so they try to cover themselves before God notices, before, before he, I guess, before God realizes what they've done. And the other truth of this, of their mistake and the mistakes that, that I've made in my life with the car and that, that uh, we make in our lives daily sometimes, I think, is that we fail to recognize that there is a cost to those things. Um, you know, when I've, again, multiple car wrecks, um, 
you know, I, I worked a lot during high school, and but I left high school with surprisingly little, surprisingly little money, uh, because I spent an awful lot of it fixing cars. <laughs> Wonder why. But anyways, there's also something else that's that that was that that cost me. It cost me money. Yes, um, it also cost cost me physical use of their car. Uh, it also cost me trust. Right. It took a long time for my parents to trust me to take the keys again and do something with it again. And with humanity, with Adam and Eve in, in Eden, you know, their mistake or their cost caused them to be removed from the garden. And, and that, that is what I want to zero in on for this Lenten season, right? We have to own the fact as human beings, broken, flawed, fallen, kicked out of the garden, we have the keys to our father's car and we make mistakes with it, right? We do things we shouldn't do. We take it where we shouldn't take it and sometimes we wreck it. And some of us who are slower, like me, wreck it more often, <laughs> multiple times before we figure it out. But in this Lenten season, we have to recognize, and this is the whole purpose, is for us to spend a period of time remembering, recognizing that we have wrecked and continue to wreck the car. And that we have a responsibility to lean into God's provision and ensure we do not do it again. You see, sometimes I, I think we suffer from the same problem that Adam and Eve had, where they, they futilely try to try to hide, right? I tried to hide my car accident from my dad. Sometimes we try to hide our sins from others around us, and certainly we try to convince ourselves that we can hide them from God. The problem is that God knows who has the keys to the car. He knows who he gave them to. He knows us. In fact, Proverbs 15.3 says it that way. It says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere observing the wicked and the good, right? He knows who we are. He knows that we're imperfect. He knows that we've made a mistake. He knows, right, what's going on and what we're doing. And Adam and Eve had to learn that the hard way. You'd think we would learn it as well, but sometimes I don't think we do. I think we play a, a John Cena move sometimes with God. You know who John Cena is? He's a professional wrestler and actor. Now he does more acting than wrestling, but he used to do this thing maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago where he would, he would, <laughs> walk up to his foes and he would go, you can't see me, right? He would wave his hand in front of his face and say, you can't see me, right? You don't know I'm here. You don't know who I am. You, you can't see me coming. And sometimes I think when we mess up with the opportunities that God has given us in our lives, whether that be with our family or our friends or in a job or whatever it is that God has given us an opportunity to do, when we sin, when we break the rules when we do things with his car that we shouldn't do pick your analogy right that he we sometimes try to convince ourselves that he can't see us that he can't see us do those things well the truth is he knows who has the keys he knows who he created because he's known you since the very beginning and he's known me since the very very beginning and he sees everything we're doing which brings us to the next futility of hiding. He doesn't just know who we are and who has the keys to his creation. He, he also knows what we're doing in the car or in his creation. He knows 
that we sin, right? He knows that we act like we're good people, but sometimes we gossip or we complain. He knows that we, we may say with our words sometimes that we believe everybody's equal, but sometimes we find our hearts a little jaded and we look down on others. He knows that we are going to sometimes make decisions we shouldn't make, that we are going to hurt people we shouldn't hurt, that we're going to let anger overtake us, and that we're going to be selfish when maybe we should be selfless. He knows that. He doesn't just know who's moving around his creation in the car. He also knows what we're doing with it, you know? Like when I was in high school and I thought, oh, great story. When I was in high school before I could even drive, I went out on my first date. We were doubled. I was double dating with my best friend and uh, we were, we went, we took the bus <laughs> because I couldn't drive yet. And so we went and we picked up the girl's on the bus, picked them up at a bus stop. We rode the bus to a bus stop and got them and got on the bus and rode across town to a movie theater. We were walking across the parking lot on the way to the movie theater. And I had um, my arm around the girl and she had her arm around me. And my friends were doing the same. My friend and the girl that he brought, we were double dating, were doing the same thing. And um, speaking of my parents who knew everything in high school, just like God knows everything, um, my mom sneaks up behind us in her car as we're walking across this parking lot. And she gets probably six inches from behind me. And I'm not paying any attention because I'm in my own little world with this girl, right? On my first date. And she blows her horn. And I jump out of my shoes, right? My hands drop and my mom cackles as she drives away. <laughs> because the truth is she knew what we were doing. She knew where we were and where we were going. And she knew there was reason to watch out. And yes, some of it's just orneriness. She couldn't help but take the opportunity to do that. The truth is God also knows when we're choosing to do things we shouldn't be doing. And we are deluding ourselves when we convince ourselves that he doesn't. The other thing that I think is, is futile when it comes to hiding our sins from him is, is that it's, the fact is, it's, it's God who owns the repair shop. It's God who can repair our lives. It's God who can repair our brokenness. It's God who is the expert. And as much as we try to convince ourselves that we can fix things up before God notices, the truth is we can't. We cannot repair it without him. And so as we begin this Lenten season, I think we need to begin with that. I think we need to begin a posture of recognizing that before we can begin to be renewed, before we can begin to live into the call that God has on us, before we can begin to be repaired, we've got to stop trying to hide from him. We've got to remind ourselves that it is futile to pretend that God can't see us. It is futile to try and fix things without, ourselves, without him because he's the expert. He is the author. He is the creator. It is his creation. 
And Jesus spent those 40 days, you know, I really kind of think reminding himself who his God is and what he was here to do and how he was here to serve. And as Satan tempted him with power and Satan tempted him with satisfaction in, in an earthly way and Satan tried to convince him to just turn on God and say, essentially, I don't need you, God. I can do this without you. Jesus refused. He flat refused. That, that is, is the example that we need to take as we move into this season. And, and doing so means we begin with confessing. We begin with confessing that we are broken. St. Augustine said, the confession of evil works, right? That's, that's sin, is the beginning of good works. It is the beginning of moving forward. You know, I remember that, that time, back to that time when I wrecked my dad's car really bad the first time. Uh, I, I was not ready to make that phone call to him when I was busy trying to get the car fixed before he even knew. At least a part of it, if not the entire thing, was I do not want to have to tell my dad what I did. I do not want to have to face him. I do not want to disappoint him. I don't want to anger him. And truthfully, I didn't want the fallout that I knew was coming from it. I knew it. But the, the truth is, if I hadn't called him, the car never would have gotten fixed because he owned it. I needed him to sign off on it to fix it. The truth is also it probably never would have gotten fixed, at least not properly, because I would have done just enough to keep anybody from catching it, and he was concerned with it getting done right. And for that I owe him. But making the phone call? One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life because I didn't want to deal with the outcome. But again, the truth is, in order for us to find healing, the tr truth is, in order for us to find renewal, we have to begin with confessing the fact that we need it. That human beings have a long history that begins with Adam and Eve of messing up a good thing and then trying to hide it from God and then acting like we can fix it ourselves. When the truth is, None of that is real. It is only through God that those things can be repaired. And so this week, the call for Lent for this week of Lent, I would ask is for us to lean in with a spirit of confession to our relationship with God. This week, I would ask that we do three things. We pray, we fast, and we focus. We pray specifically each day this week, maybe for five minutes every morning as you get up, for God to reveal our sins today, the things that we are doing, where we are taking his car where we shouldn't, doing things with his creation that we shouldn't, including ourselves, where we are sinning, where we are falling short, where we are making mistakes and not representing him well. The second is I would ask for you to fast this week. Uh, specifically, I would ask for you to skip lunch this week, if you can. If that's, if that's a health concern for you, please don't. I don't want anybody hurt. But if you can, skip a meal this week. And instead, spend that time 
trying to gain an appreciation for what God is providing us instead of acting like what we provide ourselves is enough. Maybe you make a journal of the blessings that you have in your life every day and you pray over that. Maybe it's, it's simply a matter of praying for thankfulness or being thankful outwardly and open, openly for the events of the day or the moments of the day or the, the opportunities you've received this week, just cult, this week, just cultivating this heart every day as you're fasting, as you're missing a meal, to remember that it is God that provides satisfaction. It is God that provides eternal life. It is God that watches over us. It is God that is caring for us and trying to do it myself isn't going to get it done. will always leave me falling short. And finally, focus. Focus this week, each day for a few minutes on the price that he has paid to rebuild us in his image. And as we move closer and closer to this time on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we cultivate our hearts over those next 40 days, over that time, we lean into him and away from the things of the world that constantly pull us away from him. I think we will really come at the end to know what this season of Lent is intended for us to know, learn, and see. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and may he give you peace. God bless.